This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. I've got a conversation with Donita Sparks from L7 to share with you. Now, the catalyst for the chat is due to an Australian tour, which is happening across December 2023. If you are local, check gig guides for a show near you. Now, in this chat... We discuss the unique qualities of Danita's guitar tone and her distinctive groove. We'll revisit the early days, her impressions of Nirvana's Nevermind, the Prodigy's cover of Fuel My Fire, and the band's appearance on the Oliver Stone movie, the soundtrack to the Oliver Stone movie, Natural Born Killers. Reflecting on the 30th anniversary of the appearance at the Reading Festival, I call it Donington, but it's Reddington, it's Reading, Reddington, Reading, there you go. We discussed that uh, that episode's place in the band's history, we go on to some social and political issues as long-time listeners to the show will know, but I like to do, like to have those conversations with the musicians. All right, so here she is, Donita Sparks. How have the calls been going? Have you enjoyed them? Yeah, they've been good. Last one was a little rough, but uh, we got through it. It was good. What happened? Oh, no, just, you know, it was fine. It was it was good. Nothing, nothing, nothing horrible. Did you? I think think he may have been a little nervous, but I'm not sure. I I make people nervous sometimes. And then really sometimes. I, th- I think you're lovely. I've listened to your interviews and I've loved your music for years, by the way. So there you go. Maybe I'm just looking forward yeah. to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think, yeah, I don't think he was, uh, anyway, whatever. He was great. <laughs> You've been doing this as long as anybody that I've spoken to, at least anyway. What was, what apart from the technology, how do you think it's different conducting interviews between the early 90s and now? I think in the early 90s, um, people were out to provoke me uh, and provoke us and really, you know, I don't know, um, tick us, you know, get us ticked off or they were just more confrontational in a way, especially the British ones were God awful. But, um, you know, because they a lot of them would be nice during the interview and then you'd read the piece and it was just brutal. So, and that happened in the U S sometimes too, but I would say now we're at a status where it's like, if you want to interview us, you're doing it because you like us. And it's not just an assignment for, you know, you know, there, I think I, I, I sense a bit of respect from the people who interview us. And that maybe is a little bit different than back in the day. Yeah, I understand your perspective on that, actually. I can't understand why people interview people in this, I'm talking about right now, in this day and age, that they don't like and whose music they don't enjoy. It's defeats yeah. the purpose. Yeah, and, you know, uh, back in the day, um, the press had such power that, mm. um, you know, it would be like, hey, oh, so we want to ride on your bus for two weeks and, you know, observe you. And, and it's just like, what? You know, yeah. Um, and then they would write whatever the fuck they wanted. And and so I think because of outlets like podcasts and yeah. um, 
even though there's been a, 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 a sad decline in print, there's been a boom in more independent um, thinkers and people who are doing it for the love of it instead of hitting deadlines or, you know, getting the inside scoop on Oasis, the brothers fighting or whatever. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of oh, no. yeah. it's people who want to talk about music and your career and stuff like that. Yeah, I hear. Look, on that point, has Australia been a solid territory for you over the decades? Um, it has. Uh, uh, you know, I've never known. I, I don't, you know, I don't know our record sales. I don't know, you know, like, I, I don't know a lot of that stuff. I I, I believe that Australia has always been um, a country that really likes rock and roll and very kind of they they've got really cool um like underground bands and like very kind of uh cerebral bands and yet they've also got a lot of meat and potatoes rock and roll so i like that a lot that um there's there's a there's a good range of um uh rock music going on down there and mm. the and appreciation of of that yeah, the the first and only time I've actually seen you girls was uh, on the Alternative Nation Festival in 1995. Can you remember that? Uh, yes. And uh, what's yeah? I we sang with Lou Reed. Uh, yes. Do, were you there for that? Um, I, I, I remember you were on the bill with Lou Reed, but I can't remember that specifically. No, sorry, but I just remember you were on the bill with him. Yeah. Yeah, were there two alternative nation shows in different cities or three? There was Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Yeah. Oh, because I remember on one of them we sang. Um, we met Lou Reed backstage, and and uh, I was complimenting him on on his record "New Sensations," mm. and he really liked that because I don't think he got many compliments on that album, and I love that album. And he said, oh, well, maybe you can sing with me on uh, I Love You, Suzanne tonight. And so we ended up singing <laughs> back up on I Love You, Suzanne. And yet I, I started singing all the leads. And he just kind of looked at me like, <laughs> like you're stepping on my lines, you know. But yeah. uh, I just all the, I just knew all the lyrics. And so I was just uh, but it was it was it was kind of a mind blowing experience. He, he didn't have a good tour that tour. He had mud thrown at him and was yelled at. He was probably on the wrong festival, to be honest. Yeah, and I think um, I think he was uh, uh, when he was playing. The band on the next stage was like um, doing a line check, so and he could hear that. And I, I I don't know if the audience could hear it, but he could hear it. And and that um, he I don't think he was used to that, and he he didn't like that. Yeah, your. Uh... I had a photo album from some publication back then. It might have been Juice Magazine or whatever it was, Australian edition of Rolling Stone. But there were quite a few photos of you and uh, Roddy from Faith No More hanging around together. So did you strike up a bit of a friendship with the Faith No More guys then? Well, we had we toured with Faith No More in Europe in the um, like November of 1992. So. Mm. We were friends with them from that tour, but even before that, because, you know, Faith No More was also from the punk scene. Yeah. They were punk rockers doing hard rock, kind of like what we were doing. Um, so uh, and we shared the same management manager. So we were friends, you know, and I think Jennifer 
kind of grew up with Roddy in L.A. So they were both punk punk rockers on the scene. So, mm. yeah, we, we go back with them. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Your guitar tone, I've always admired it. It's something that I've actually tried to mimic a bit. So I've got to hand it to you for that. You've been an influence. And it, wow. reminds, it reminds me a little bit of Tom Warrior from Celtic Frost because that's a, a heavy metal pedal uh, that he uses there too. Yours is more punkified though. It's more a more punky and crusty version of his of his guitar tone. And that's that's my take on it anyway. But is your guitar tone? It's very distinct though. That's the key point that I want to make in it amongst there. Did you have to develop that, or is that something you had since almost day one? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like my guitar tone has changed over the years because I used to, <laughs> I refused to play out of a Marshall back in the day because <laughs> I thought it was, because I thought it was cliche. Yep. So I would try to make a distorted sound out of any kind of dumbass rigged thing. Like I had a music man with a heavy metal pedal. And then I had a bass man with a heavy metal pedal. So anyway, I had heavy metal pedals for a long time, which I liked very much. And then I finally got a JCM 800 Marshall and it was just like, Oh, this is what I should have sounded like the whole time. So Susie's always been a Marshall gal. I finally caved and got a Marshall but now we are both playing black stars and black stars sound amazing. And we've got these new models called the St. James and they're, I think they're six pounds each mm. and we're bringing them with us on the road. Like, like, um, so we're getting what we got out of the marshals through these black stars now. So that's cool. And for Susie to, to switch from a Marshall to a black star is like, huge because i was just like sure i'll try it you know but Susie, like making that commitment because Susie cares more about gear and tone maybe than i do i'll just like just give me some distortion i'll make it work you know i like but Susie really needs to get the perfect feedback and the you know she's very she's very particular uh but thank you for that compliment i um I am not familiar with the guitar player that you mentioned, but I'll I'll check that out. Yeah, well, uh, Kel yeah, Celtic Frost. When you have a listen, some of the uh, mid-period stuff, sort of Vanity Nemesis, uh, nineteen ninety, that sort of thing. You, I, I think you'll hear it, but but it does cool. it does lead into another question, which is that I, I because you've got a distinctive tone. To me, that's a sign of an accomplished guitarist. So, who are you inspired by? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because uh, probably for my style of rhythm, it's the Ramones all the way, downstroke, eighth notes, uh, bar chords. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like once I learned bar chords, I was like, that's it. I can play the Ramones. My guitar lesson stopped. I was just like, the rest, I'll just fucking fake my way through it. And which is sort of what I've done uh, <laughs> ever since. But I think my... So that's kind of my my rhythm. I I'm pretty I'm pretty Ramon style. Even though we have different, uh, we have a few more tricks than the Ramones had songwriting wise. As far as you know, uh, we we play some pop stuff, whatever. But it's usually downstroke bar chords. But my lead playing, I love simplistic, catchy stuff. Um, 
I like a lot of half steps, you know, in my rhythm playing too, I like a lot of half steps, but uh, I like, um, you know, guitarists I love, I can't really play like, but I, 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 maybe I do a deconstructed version of them. I love Dick Dale. I love his mm-hmm. Middle Eastern influence, King of the Surf guitar. I love Scotty Moore, who's Elvis's uh, guitar player. Yeah. Um, I really like that era <laughs> of, of, uh, guitar lead playing fifties and sixties. Yeah, now now that you mentioned it, I can hear it. Yeah, I didn't notice yeah. it until you said it. Yeah, yeah. Susie oh. Susie likes more um, when she plays leads. She's more blues influenced, and I'm a bit more surf, uh, rockabilly influenced. Yeah. I wish the guitar magazines when I was a young fella. So I'm 45. So right at that sweet spot when L7 were coming through. They did more exposés on your guitar technique and the way in which you approached it because they were too busy doing all of the shredders and all the rest of it. And when you're 14, you can't do any of that shit. But you can sit down and you can put on a Venom album or you could put on an L7 album and you could play along to some of those riffs and then you could reach for some of the leads. So did I just miss the Guitar World publications that had you as a feature or are they yet to sort of contact you and reach into your mind and say, hey, share with the kids exactly how this is done? You know, very few people have done that. And um, it's interesting that you say that because I've just been approached. Well, I I was listed in Rolling Stone as an influential guitar player uh, just very recently, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I agree with my placement on that list. I'm I'm uh, I'm ranked higher than my hero, Dick Dale, which to me is kind of funny. But uh, (laughs) But maybe it's just um, I don't know how they I don't know how they make these lists. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I had an interview uh, it, for a guitar magazine just last week, and I had made notes like, okay, this this person wants to speak with me about like my tone and my playing, and I was really trying to like figure out what what does make me unique, you know, like what, and I th- and I came up with some really st- cool stuff, I thought, and then. Uh, our, our interview, he informed me that he was in his car running errands. And um, I was just like, what are you? It was a Zoom call, you know, but I was like, wait, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm I'm running errands. I've um, you know, I'm like, you're in your car right now and you're you're, you're going to interview me. And it was just so bizarre because it's like, wow, finally, someone wants to speak with me about my guitar playing. And he's like you know, just off running errands in his car. And I was like, we're going to have to reschedule this man. Like this is, you know, I just took it like, wow, this is really yeah. something. Um, uh, mm. So anyway, that was just a, a funny little anecdote I wanted to throw into <laughs> to you. But um, yeah, you know, over the years I've been, I have been trying to uh, deconstruct my playing and um I never thought it was nothing much, but now when I really look back on it, it's like, hey, it is it is pretty unique, and this is why. And I and I've kind of cracked my own code a little bit. So, um, well, yeah. what, I'll tell you why you make the list is because as soon as you hear one one riff that you play, it's you. You can say it's Danita. You can hear that. So that's why I think you make those lists, and why I think it's important for young people or anybody that's beginning on the guitar to pick their guitar hero early. And it's not about copying. It's about reaching for things that give you a lot of confidence to then go further. And and you and Mantis from Venom, you played that role for me. I remembered that because you're and, – and Ernie C from Body Count too because you could actually play it. So as a means of being able to play it, 
think I, I've been a musician now for 30 years, 30 years or thereabouts. Yeah. And because that happened very early on, then as a, and then I, I switched to, to bass fairly early on too. But it gave yeah. me confidence. It gave me a lot of confidence. And that's the key point that I wanted to relate to you. Totally. You don't have to be a virtuoso to, to be in a band. You can you can start a band without even knowing how to play. If you just find some people who like, you know, you can play along with like that's like I said, that's what the Ramones were for me. And that's what a lot of like. American and British garage bands were for me, like you just, you know, it's not it's not about the virtuoso playing, even though those guys who could and gals who can play like that, that's great. But sometimes a simple hook, you know, Louie Louie is three chords. Yeah. Shit list, shit list is three fucking chords. Right. The so, whole song. Yeah. So it's like, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with that either. There's nothing wrong with um, a simple three chord song. And there's nothing wrong with a complicated song like Wargasm, which is like pert near math rock, you mm. know, so. Um, and I like both, so long as it's catchy, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, on that point, absolutely. You heard Nevermind before almost anybody else did, and you've been quoted by Dave Grohl as saying very early on, again, when the guys were recording it, this is going to be huge. So obviously the album made an impression on you, or the songs, I should say, because you hadn't quite heard the album yet, who had. The band hadn't finished it yet, but you were almost credited as the first person to identify that that album was going to be huge. What are, what are your memories of that that era? Well, I think everybody knew Nirvana was going to be huge just because Bleach, I mean, they were huge in the underground. There was a big bidding war over Nirvana, you know, and uh, they were our friends and we kind of saw the whole thing come down. And, um, you know, so they were already great. But then from Bleach to Nevermind, they were incorporating more pop and more melody, even more so than Bleach. Bleach was a bit harder and more aggressive, but never mind, you know, was getting into some unexplored territory, I think, for them. And, you know, we had a demo tape of their stuff. It was pre them recording with Butch Vig and um, the songs were there. You know, what I mean, it was just like, this is going to be fucking huge. But like. Everybody thought that. I don't know why Dave remembers me saying that, but um, I'm sure I did say it to those guys like that. You guys, this is going to be fucking huge. It, like and I, you know, it was just kind of like, get ready, man, you know, <laughs> because yeah. this is undeniably great. And you guys are already, you know, uh, on, on the map. So, you mm -hmm. know, but uh, yeah, I think it was uh, everybody knew that that was a great record to come, you know? Yeah. There are similarities between Nevermind and Bricks Are Heavy in my, but just as a young fella listening to it, I go, okay, I think I can understand why why you, the Butch Vig thing, because he just puts that, and it's not that they sound the same. It's just that the execution is very similar in that the guitar just cuts right through. So did you guys choose Butch to work? Was it your selection, so to speak, or did the record company ask you guys to work with him? You know, the, le the record company... We were on Slash Records, which was kind of under the umbrella of Warner Brothers mm -hmm. and Polygram and all that stuff. But Slash was an independent record label out of L.A. Um, who just had that umbrella distribution, you know. So they were punk rockers and they were art punks and we were art punks. And so um, they let us do whatever the hell we wanted, which was great. And um, 
Nirvana was about to work with Butch and then they were working with Butch and we were like, oh, let's try Butch. And he turned out to be the perfect person because he um, he is um, very uh, unpretentious Mm. and he's not he's not a snob. He's not arrogant. He's a guy from the Midwest. He's not from L.A. And, um, you know, he loves music and he loves pop elements. And I think he encouraged Nirvana and L7 to try out these pop ideas that we had that I know, I know I was a little afraid to try because I was, you know, I was afraid, I didn't want to be considered soft. Uh, We had L7 had to be really tough cookies. Mm -hmm. And I was a little afraid to throw in some of my pop love of pop stuff. But Butch was like, no, no, do it. And I heard what Nirvana was doing. I was like, oh, well, they're doing it. And the Pixies are doing it and the breeders are, you know, and it was just kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to throw in this backing vocal. I'm going to throw in this poppy lead. I'm going to, and that, I think that he was a confidence builder. You know, he wasn't coming up with the pop ideas per se, but he was encouraging us to go with our gut on some magical sprinkles. And that's what I thought he really brought to the record. Has he, he, he did such a great job with you, by the way, on that album. That album's a classic, is a, is a modern day classic. Did, did, um, have you had the opportunity to work with him again? No, but we see each other around LA. And, um, uh, no, I think, um, I was in a documentary about Smart Studios, which is where we recorded with Butch in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and where, uh, so a lot of other bands recorded. So I was in that documentary. Um, Butch, was he in our documentary? I think he may have been in our documentary. Uh, we've just been kind of back and forth like that. We we see each other socially every now and then. And I go to garbage shows and, uh, yeah, you know, we, we've seen each other around. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Hey, Oliver Stone, did he contact you personally to contribute to the soundtrack of Natural Born Killers? His producer, Jane, oh, what's her last name? Jane Hampshire contacted Mm. us. She was the L7 fan and she um, had soundtrack ideas for Oliver Stone for that movie. And she's the one who brought Trent Reznor in. And Mm. she was she was a rock fan and she she was a producer. Uh, And um, so she played shitless for Oliver. He's like, yes, absolutely. and. What's interesting is, is that they shot that scene before we have even agreed to let them use it. And Juliet is Juliet Lewis is singing shit list. And so there's no way. I mean, it would have been it would have been so costly for them not to use that song. And and we could have really had them by the short and curlies and extorted money out of them to, uh, (laughs) you know, but. But we were like, fuck it, let them use shitless, you know, and, and Juliet did such a great job in that scene. And it really it's associated with that film for quite a few fans. So uh, that's cool. Even though I am not a fan of violence, a lot of people really dig it. And so um, it really helped uh, catapult catapult shitless is one of our most famous songs. It, it's never been on the radio, but um, it's one of our biggest songs. 
It was on the radio down here, I can assure you. That's where I first oh, there you go. Triple J used to play it late at night. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No, they wouldn't play it in the US. You can't say you can't say shit on the radio, I don't think. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how did you feel when uh Jennifer joined Moby's band? Jennifer did not join Moby's band. Oh, okay. There you go. There you <laughs> that's go. You're fined. Okay. No. Okay. I would have been furious. That's what I furious. thought. Yeah, that's what I no, thought. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. You got um, a couple people confused. Um, uh, um, a bass player named Greta. Played. Yeah, I know she did, but there's a quote online from The Guardian of all places that uh, attributes Jennifer um, joining Moby's band. So there you go. No, I don't think so. I'll fang it whilst I'm talking to you. I know I got it. I didn't make it up, but I'll I'll find it and I'll uh where are we? Joe joining Novi's band. Uh founding bassist Jennifer Finch has left to join Moby, 12th of April, year 2000. Bad girls live forever. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> just as so people out there don't think I'm full of shit and just making things up. But uh, No, that's not. No, you know what? You can't believe everything you read. No, she did not leave to join Moby and she was never in Moby. Uh, Greta, Greta Brinkman, who played bass. She played half the bass on the beauty process. I played the other half of the bass on the beauty process. Uh, she she then joined Moby and um, had a great career with Moby for, for a few years. Okay, gotcha. Well, the, the journalist, who's the journalist? Uh, Dave Simpson. There you go. But it's, it's there you go. years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eyes crossed. Yeah. I mean, the things you read, and I, I couldn't, I look, I know enough about you as a band, and I know enough about what's come out about Moby. <laughs> This sort of thing, you guys would have been tuned into that sort of shit years ago and would have said no. Yeah, no, that's not, no. It was Greta, Greta Brinkman, who who joined Moby. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. Well, something, Greta, uh, you're right. Greta was, never, Greta was never an official member of L7. She was hired to play bass on the beauty process because Jennifer had quit and we were making a record and... So uh, Greta came in to play and I play, I played the simpler stuff on the bass. She played the more, um, she's playing more lines. Uh, the Steve Harris stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 There you go. Something I know for a fact did happen because I had the album, The Fat of the Land. It was one of the biggest albums of the 1990s and there you were right at the end of it. Okay. So could, what went on there? I, I thought it was really unusual to have a song that I already knew. Uh, Fuel My Fire I'm talking about just for people listening. Um, this is going to go live. I'm going to post this later on. They're not live, by the way, just as a <laughs> um, okay. but But um, but what what are your thoughts on that now? Did you like that version of the Prodigy's cover of Fuel My Fire? Oh, I love their version. It's it's it, and it was we had no idea. We were in France and a, a French friend of ours who worked for Canal Plus came in and he said, have you heard the prodigy? And we were like, what? He's like, <laughs> the, the band, the prodigy. Have you heard the, the prodigy? They do fuel by fire. And I thought he was going to like play us a live version of them maybe covering fuel my fire. And he put on their actual fat of the land cassette and it was on, and it was on there. And we were just like, we were in our dressing room and we were blown away. It was such, it was so flattering and it was such a huge a uh, compliment to be, um, you know, we were kind of starting to wane, I suppose, in our career mm -hmm. a little bit. And to have that kind of uh, 
shot in the arm was really amazing and great. And I don't know if you know the backstory of Fuel My Fire, but ah, go for it. Yeah. Well, I wrote Fuel My Fire and the chord changes in the chorus I had accidentally lifted from the Cosmic Psychos song Lost Cause. Okay. Yeah. So the Cosmic Psychos, you know who they are. They're an Australian band. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they had a song. She's a lost cause. She's a lost, lost cause. And I accidentally (laughs) lifted their chord change. People like you just fuel my fire. And so, but I lifted it and, and, but I wrote other parts. I had a bridge that was different. I had uh, my verses were different, but that, that chorus, I was like, I called up the guys from Cosmic Psychos and I said, you guys, I lifted your chorus by accident, but I love it. Would you mind if we, you know, split the writer's credit and and uh, the publishing? And would you mind if if we did it? And they were like, no, go for it. Go for it. So when the prodigy sold a gazillion records, <laughs> we mm-hmm. all got a cut of that. So the guys from the Cosmic Psychos and L7, um, all shared in the wealth of that. And, you know, I, I, I consider that a lesson for all. Yep. It's like, it, you know, if you, if, you know, if, if you realize it, cop to it, ask permission and, and share the wealth. And that was, uh, um, that worked out well, because the cosmic psychos were friends of ours and we had, um, uh, we had played with them and everything. And it was like, it was an accident. I lifted their chorus, you know, um, but it turned out great for everybody. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one there. There's, there's not enough deontological philosophy imbued within the musicians ever, really, when it comes down to it. Musicians seem to have been happy to throw each other under the bus, but there's a good news story. They're not all bad news stories. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Look, the, 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 it's impossible to um, Google L7 or your name and not this bloody, this performance from 1992 at Donington come up. At this point in time, do you consider it, when I say a worthy episode, is it just a footnote or is it something that, as I say, you type it, you, you Google it and it comes up. I'm talking about Tampon Gate, of course, people can look it up. But do you, do you feel like as though it's just turned into its own thing or do you think it's actually a worthy footnote in the band's history? Well, first of all, it was at Reading, not Donington. I don't think we've ever played Donington. But, um, you know, after I first did it, I was like, oh, man, I don't know, you know. But, you know, because it was very, uh, it was funny and feminist at the same time. We were being pelted with mud and it was a was a shitty show. We thought it was going to help launch us uh, to a bigger place and it didn't. And it was just kind of a, it was a disappointing uh, appearance. Uh, not that we played shitty or anything, but we got pelted with mud the entire time. And um, it's a t- very tough show. <laughs> but now um, I embrace it a lot more. It's, you know, um, young women are doing all kinds of tampon performance art and making all kinds of tampon art. And mm-hmm. I feel that, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I can take some credit for, um, empowering young women. Now there's, a, you know, they're offering free tampons in bathrooms in the United States and stuff like that. So I think, 
Um, I think it's, uh, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, sometimes, the, look, there's these things that are out there that bands get associated with that aren't to do with the music specifically. So Aussie bit the head off a bat. You know, you talk to any garden variety person out there, they go, Aussie, he's the bloke who snorted ants, snorted ants or bit the head off a bat. There's the Van Halen forbidding the M- brown M&Ms and Keith Richards snorting his father's ashes. There's There's way more out there. I just think that's your entry in the great book of that sort of stuff. That's all. That's right. And no animals were hurt in yeah, my, in my, in my, in my performance art piece. Uh, so uh, I'm happy about that. Plenty of animals in the crowd though, from the sounds of things they gave you, gave you a really rough time. They gave us a rough time. You know, they also, they threw mud, they threw mud at mud honey as well. We weren't the only ones, but you know, it, it's weird. Like <clears throat> being women and women in rock, you know, your mind does go to why are these guys pelting mud at us like so aggressively? Like it was it was they weren't tossing mud. They were like throwing like, you know, baseball pitches at us with these clumps of mud. And, it you know, if you're a woman or if you're a minority or something, your mind can't help but wander into why are they being so aggressive towards us? You know, even though they were doing it to Mud Honey too, but it did cross our minds like, wow, is this like a big show of stay in your place, like misogyny? It was, it you know, your mind does go there. So um, yeah. they threw mud, I threw blood. So take that, motherfuckers, <laughs> and that's how it rolls. I'm su- I'm surprised people have the balls to do it. I was okay. I loved you guys, but I would have been terrified of trying to piss you off in that way back back in those days. Even now, well, we, I was with you. So yeah, <laughs> we were. You know, we were terrified. I mean, it's like half half the crowd loved us and were cheering us on, and then there were these like soccer hooligans throwing mud at us. Yeah. And you know, I don't care how much you say, like, oh no, that's what they do over there. It's like, hey man, when it's happening to you, it's like you can't help but take it personally. And um, and you can't help but take it socially and culturally either. So uh, you know, I got I got, you know, I got performance art on their ass. And that's and and you know, and now it's in the uh it's up there with Ozzy and Keith and all those guys. An appropriate response given the context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, something else. You, you, the band started Rock for Choice with the Feminist Majority Foundation in 1991. God, I hope that factoid's correct. But uh, that's what I found. And questioning in amongst all of that, that was 1991. Okay. So that's over 32 years ago now. Would you still describe yourself in a feminist in the same way you were back then? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a feminist at five years old, you know. Um, so I grew up with with uh, women's lib, as it was called back then. And my mother uh, was a feminist. My father's a feminist. So, you know, uh, I've got three older sisters. So it was constant battle with school boards and all kinds of crap in my family. So, um, you know, uh, yes, for sure. And it's um, it's uh, I'm very proud of it. And I think it has affected some other women and um uh, so that's that's really great. And I think it's inspired some people too, not only to be um, politically active, but uh, um, to give a shit about about causes, you know? Mm, yeah. What's your take on the trans issue? What about it? 
trans women competing in women's sporting events, sharing prisons, or in some states, I believe that they uh, go to can go to women's prisons and the beauty pageant thing. Do you have a view on that at the moment, or I should really ask? Do you want to share your view? If you don't, no dramas. I just thought I'd ask the question. Um, I um, I am uh, I support trans people. Um, the sports thing, I don't know enough about it. Um, so I don't think I'm a person to speak about that. Um, so yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to step in it with that one. Cause I don't, I don't have, I I'm, I'm, uh, I plead ignorance to that particular topic of trans mm. competing with females in sports. So I, I don't know enough about it other than that. I am very pro-trans and I know a lot of people eye roll these young people for for um, pronouns and things. Um, I think it's I I roll it, too, but I think it's fucking great. And I think that that's what young people are supposed to do is to be obnoxiously correct. And <laughs> th that's how that's how things change, you know, and uh whether it's, you know, the socialists or the beatniks or the punks or whatever, it's like, um, or the feminists or the civil rights people, it's, uh, you know, yeah, be be obnoxious until you win. And that is, uh, so I'm very pro, pro confusing pronouns. Gotcha. Do you think overall, do you think we're a society, I'm talking about the Western Hemisphere because we both we both come from the Western Hemisphere, the Anglosphere, if you like. Do you think we're moving forward? Do you think we're progressing? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, God, you know, I thought we were progressing with women's issues in the in the U.S. and the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. But you know, the the, the populace does not feel the same way. So there are creeps in control everywhere who are trying to stop um, compassion, diversity, understanding, and intelligence, and. That's what's happening right now. And that happened, that's happened throughout history. So, but, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's so hard to say. I think we are progressing, but I think that the creeps are learning to lie better and to distort and um, uh, overthrow better than we are currently doing on the left. Gotcha. Look, I'll make this my last question for you. I really wish I could be at the show, actually, but I'm a muso, so I've got to play the same night, 9th of December in Brisbane. But oh. are you, is it, I mean, you've already, we've already spoken about Australia in general, but in terms of these shows, is this, is this a trip that's a bit of a, you know, are you, are you all of you ladies really looking forward to this one? Is this a bit special? Well, it is because, you know, Australia has always been so supportive of L7 and they love bricks are heavy. And so we're really happy to, to perform this for them. And, um, you know, we haven't been down there in a while and it, I mean, it's always a blast to go down there. So we're very much looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really fun show. You know, we, we did this show in the U S the bricks are heavy tour and it went over really well. And it was a very joyous, uh, occasion so i think people are really gonna um hopefully they're really gonna enjoy themselves because uh i know we are going to be trying to enjoy ourselves which is 
which is going to be the case. Fantastic. Well, it's been lovely to finally talk to you. Thank you for making the music that you've made and uh, God bless. And I hope this trip is uh, worthwhile and enjoyable as, as it certainly sounds anticipated as it is. Great. And thank you so much for asking me guitar questions. <laughs> thank you. I know, you. it Good surprises me. I just don't know. I, look, I think there's, the, and I've spoken about this quite a bit with a lot of artists and musicians over the years, but there's a lot of part-timers doing this these days. And yes, what, that, yes. what that, I mean, it's always sort of been the case, but there's, they're just not invested because they don't have the history. They didn't listen to Bricks Are Heavy in, say, 1993. Yeah. And yeah. and they don't have that long history with it all. And and they're not curious. The key word here is they're just not curious about how yeah. you come up with what you came up with. Yeah, that's true. And I, I you know, um, right. There's, uh, you know, uh, there's part timers, uh, but there are also complete enthusiasts. So that's, you know, that's the trade off. Right. It's like. You know, like we like we spoke earlier, like the people who want to talk to me want to talk to me. And they're, it's not just an assignment. It's like their assignment. They assign themselves. They want to talk to me about L7. And that's really great. So um, and thank you for uh, appreciating my guitar tone. There you go. I hope more people pick up on it when this conversation gets out there and they're inspired. I, I, I hope there's a, a patch or an application out there somewhere where people can Someone out, someone out there will have done it. They will have got the pure essence of your guitar tone and would have made it available. <laughs> that's amazing. This, you know, put it into a pedal for us. <laughs> yeah, a, that's, that would be great. Yeah. Um, no, really, yeah. there needs to be a, a Danita Sparks pedal. Just plug it in, away you go, there it is. I love it. Let, let's work on that together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the word put out, out there, the, Put it out to the world. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely. Thank you so much again. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, sorry you can't see the show, but, um, you know, I'm sure you'll be able to watch some court, some sort of uh, streaming bootleg of it the next day online. So enjoy. Yeah, and you'll just have to come down again. So there you go. You'll have to do there two trips the later on. <laughs> no worries. Perfect. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks very much, too. Okay, cheers. Okay, okay take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Radio, there you go. A chat with the great Donita Sparks from L7. One of those conversations I had to had to go right back to my teenage years because they were one of the first bands that I had an awareness of and got into. Thoroughly enjoy, still enjoy. Bricks are heavy and hungry for stink. Mm-hmm. All right. If you like that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And whilst you're there, check out my book. Click on the link on the banner and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. Download the e-version or even order the physical copy, as so many of you like to do. There's some more information to share with you about the book in the moment. But before we get to that, I'm going to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time. It's a very good bye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock heavy metal, and beyond. 
it just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.